Well, welcome everybody to the latest edition of Star Cells and God. This is the podcast where we explore some of the latest discoveries happening at the frontiers of science and discuss what those discoveries mean for the case for God's existence and the reliability of Scripture. Uh, my name is Fuzz Rana. I'm a biochemist and a Christian apologist. I work for an organization called Reasons to Believe, which is the organization that sponsors this podcast. If you want to know more about Reasons to Believe, go to our website, www.reasons.org, or of course, you can follow us on social media, uh, RTB underscore official. Uh, also, if you are watching this podcast uh, uh, and you're not on our YouTube channel, go to our YouTube channel, Reasons to Believe One, and subscribe. And of course, uh, don't forget to hit the the bell that allows you to be notified when a new episode of Star Cells and God drops. Uh, typically, in in these uh, episodes, we talk about uh, some new discoveries and again what those discoveries mean for the Christian worldview. Uh, but today, we're going to do something a bit different. Uh, we're going to uh, interview someone who is uh, a person that I'm very impressed with, a person I admire and respect enormously, and that is uh, Dr. Cy Gart, who is a biochemist as well, and a, a bit of a, a Christian evangelist. Uh, I, I see your your posts on Twitter quite often, Cy, and uh, you really do have a heart for evangelism, and really, I think, a heart to communicate that uh, someone can be uh, a, a scientist as well as embrace the Christian faith. Um uh, Sai also is uh, a bit of a YouTube sensation. I see you on quite a few programs, uh, programs that uh, support the Christian worldview and programs that are maybe uh, not so friendly to Christianity, and yet you show up on those programs and really do an excellent job of, of representing uh, the Christian faith. So I'm so grateful that you're willing to take the time to, to join us today. Sai um, uh, and I have a lot of of, of uh, points of agreement in terms of our views on origins, but there's also some places where we differ. But I thought it would be fun to have a, a conversation between two biochemists who are Christians, uh, just uh, uh, to uh, to show that again, uh, this whole science faith dialogue is very complex, can be very nuanced, uh, but should be a, a place where we have a good time. Uh, and a place where we're able, through our differences, to really communicate to people that there's a number of different models that people can adopt when it comes to uh, our views of science and the Christian faith and the creation accounts, and and that we can differ with one another uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, where uh, we can enjoy that those differences and 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 learn from one another. So, Sai, thanks again so much for for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, it's a pleasure, Fuzz, and I, I thank you for that introduction, which has uh, kind of uh, got my head spinning. <laughs> so that was very generous. Uh, and of course, uh, any admiration you feel for me is quite mutual. I've <clears throat> known you for some time. We've had some nice discussions on other channels, and I'm really looking forward to this. I think it could be really very useful for us and perhaps for the audience as well. Well, thank you, Sai. You know, I, I think uh, it, 
a great place to start, if you don't mind, would be for you to maybe share a little bit about your story and your journey to to faith in Christ. Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, um, I'd be happy to. It, it, it's it's a, it's a moderately unusual journey, actually. Uh, I haven't. I found a few people who have come close to certain things in common with my journey, but not nobody who's actually taken the same route, I guess I would say. Uh, and that's because of where I started from, which was, I was not only an atheist, I was uh, brought up in a, a home of uh, militant uh, atheists and also communists. My parents had been members of the American Communist Party in the 30s. Uh, they left the party uh, after the war, but they remain committed to Marxism, which includes a very strong and very particular kind of anti-theism. Uh, it's not just that God doesn't exist, or are there not enough evidence for God, or whatever we hear these days from the modern atheists, but that actually religion and Christianity in particular are evil, uh, and God is, is a, it, it's a very bad thing to believe in God, not simply because he doesn't exist, but because it's evil. So that's, that was how I started. Um, so a, a quite a, quite a path to go from there to a professing Christian who, you know, believes that Jesus Christ is my salvation and the hope for mankind. So how did I get there? And the answer is, it was a very long story. I did not have a single Damascus, road to Damascus moment where I suddenly came to faith. I've heard other testimonies of people who were, you know, badly addicted to drugs or, or alcoholism or had other major problems in their life and some wonderful uh, visitation by the Holy Spirit, you know, turned them around. And I love those stories, but that did not happen to me. Uh, at least not quite in that much of a dramatic way. I, it was a slow journey, and I, I wrote a book about it because it, it was too difficult to put it all you know, into a, a short uh, way of expressing it. And uh, the book is called uh, The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. And it's, I'll just pull up a copy there. It's available uh, in stores and on Amazon, of course. It's actually published three years ago. It's it's still you know uh, circulating pretty well, so that's nice. Um, and uh, I talk about the the several steps in my path, and the first part of that was, and I'm not going to go into great detail, of course, is because uh, it takes several chapters. But my my education now i my father <clears throat> had had been a uh, a chemist uh, analytical inorganic chemist and i ended up uh loving chemistry uh, no surprise i majored in chemistry in college and then i i realized i really loved biochemistry so got my doctorate in that and as but as a chemist i was also learning a little bit of physics and including the schrodinger equation which you need to solve in order to you know understand bonding of, of molecules and <clears throat> that was very odd to me i didn't really understand how all that quantum theory could be right but it was right and i just decided to ignore all the kind of weird stuff that's part of it all the probability and the strange things like the observer effect and all those things and 
And, but I felt like it was putting a big dent in my original philosophy of pure materialism. Mm. Um, you know, we're talking about the Schrodinger equation itself uses a, a uh, imaginary number, right? Uh, I, where right. Might want. Throughout science, we, we talk about irrational numbers like pi, constant pi, uh, and you know the, and then of course later we we come up with concepts like you know bending space and time slowing up and you know slowing down and speeding up and all these things that just don't make sense from a materialistic super rational point of view, and that put a dent in my absolute certainty that the materialist view is the only way to go. And I started thinking about, well, if not, then, you know, what else might turn out to be true? I didn't think about God. That was too far to go. But I started looking into some of the new age stuff that was very popular when I was young. Um, wasn't very impressed with that either. Uh, and then I, um, studying biochemistry, and I'm sure you had the same experience, Buzz, and, and I know many biochemists do. When you begin to learn the details yeah. of how proteins are made or how energy is converted from sunlight to chemical energy, it, you just sit there with your mouth open. I mean, it's astonishing. And when I taught it later, when I became a professor, I saw the same thing in my students. I mean, I would, <laughs> I would tell them, yeah, this enzyme does this and this and that. And they would just say, what? <laughs> How? You know, and, and so I, that, I, I, I didn't really, it didn't bring me anywhere near anything resembling faith, but it did lead me to ask questions of, of myself. Right. So no one else to ask is, how is all this possible? You know, what's going on here? And that solid wall of certainty, as I said, about materialism just began to crumble. And I, and I started thinking, you know, well, there's something missing, you know, from what I, from my philosophical worldview. Uh, and I didn't know what that was. But, you know, you get, you get your PhD and you get out in the world of, of actual science and you're doing research and writing grants and writing papers. And the last thing you think about is philosophy and worldviews. You know, you're busy, right? You're, you're, you're trying to get the next grant. You're trying to get promoted, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And you don't have time for these uh, esoteric things. So I kind of put it all away. <clears throat> At the same time, um, things were happening that I couldn't understand that were not related to the science. And, oh, just things which I discounted. I, I went to see a movie called The Gospel According to St. Matthew. My, my girlfriend at the time, I was a teenager, was a secret Christian. Yeah. Not that unusual. I grew, I forgot to mention, I grew up in New York City, and uh, it's not a hotbed of Christianity. It never has been. <laughs> Um, so, uh, she was not the first secret Christian I met in my life, yeah. but she wanted to bring me to this film and I was kind of bored by it until the scene of the resurrection when the stone is rolled back and the music changes from a very somber mm -hmm. mass to this beautiful lilting African 
uh, hymn called Misa Luba. And that change in, in music from slow and heavy to light and, you know, beautiful, just had a huge effect on me. I, I am a musician. I went to the High School of Music and Art. I love music. I think mu I often say music is prayer. And that, I, I felt this feeling I'd never had before. I didn't know what it was. And I felt, well, oh, this is amazing. This, is, this must be a miracle. And that, and that feeling lasted about eight seconds. And then my brain kicked in and said, no, 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 no. That, you've heard about this. This is just you know, this is just a neurochemical reaction to the music and it's not real and forget about it. And I forgot about it until much later. <laughs> uh, and there were other calls to me, which we don't have time for me to go into all the details, which I also ignored. At this moment, at this time in my life, I will say that God was calling me mm -hmm. fairly persistently. And I was doing a great job of totally ignoring him. And I'm not alone. I think there are many people who say, I, I, why doesn't God talk to me? Why don't I hear from him? And my answer is usually something on the order of, well, maybe listen more. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, and we'll get to that. But um, at some point, my feelings about science really reached a point where I, I just didn't know what was true. And I was not I was not ready to take the leap of, of becoming a theist, but I started thinking of myself as an agnostic. I just didn't know what was what was real, what was going on. And at that point I met another uh friend, Christian, who asked me to go to church with her, which I'd never I had never been this now I'm in my 40s and I'd never been to a church in my life, any any house of worship. And I was very nervous about it, but I agreed to go. And um, I was scared, but it was it turned out not to be scary. It turned out to be kind of nice. You know, every everybody was friendly and you know it was a good experience. So I went a few times. I again it didn't convince me of very much, but what it did do was break down the teachings that I had absorbed as a child that this was an evil, terrible religion that you have to stay away from. Um, and so a lot of the walls that were preventing me from answering these calls went away. And then I looked at the gospels and I, and just to see, I didn't really couldn't really read the Bible much. I, I don't know. I got stuck all the time, but some of the gospels were interesting to me. But what really happened was the Holy Spirit decided, I guess, uh, it wasn't going to be easy to bring me around. So I had a couple of dreams. I don't think we have time to talk about them, but they were very powerful. They're described in the book. And after the second one, I was really thinking, maybe this whole God thing has something to it. Uh, but what was really interesting is that it wasn't so much believing in God that brought me around finally. It was Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
And I, I couldn't get my handle. I couldn't get a handle on God. What? Who is God? What is he? What kind of being is this? I, but Jesus Christ was a person. He walked around. He looked like everybody else. And he spoke and he told us stuff. And when I read the Gospels in the book of Acts, um, you know, that it, I didn't think of it as it, it didn't strike me as mythological or made up or whatever, you know, people like to say. So um, I, I think I was ready yeah. to, go, to, to come all the way, but I couldn't. I couldn't do it. It was just my brain would say, no, no, no. First of all, it's too good to be true. You know, all of this, you know, afterlife and all of this being saved. And I, I just didn't believe anything that good could be true. And it still rubbed, the, rubbed me the wrong way. And then, I, and then I had an experience awake of, and of, of driving. I was driving my car alone. on the road to Pittsburgh, not the road to Damascus. <laughs> and uh, and I turned on the radio and I heard a, a Christian preacher. Uh -huh. And um, he, gave, he, was, he was speaking beautifully. And I, and I thought to myself, gee, you know, a lot of these preachers really know how to talk. And, and it was something I thought, well, what, what if I gave a sermon? What would that be like? I turned off the radio and I started thinking about what I would say, and I didn't really know. And then and then I had this weird feeling, which I can't describe, I can't explain. It was, and, and words started coming to me, and I, I could picture myself speaking to a bunch of people outside, mm. giving a sermon. Luckily, I pulled the car over, <laughs> and the words just came. And they were all about love and yeah. the Jesus loves me. And, and that was just new. I, I, I had never thought about that. Yeah. And, and what I basically ended up saying was, if Jesus can love even me with my background and, and my burden of sin, who would he not love? Yeah. And um, when I had finished this sermon, I probably said amen, amen to myself. I was crying. I was totally overcome. And I said out loud, I believe. And <laughs> from that moment, I've been a Christian. Yeah, wow. That's a that's a, a powerful story, Cy. Um you, you know, I mean, there there's so many things in your story that that connect with mine. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I I grew up in a home where my father was a Muslim. Right. So we had a very negative view of Christianity in our household too, for, for different reasons than in your household. And, and, you know, I explored Islam and then gave up on it and became an agnostic and was very much influenced as an undergraduate student by this evolutionary paradigm. And by that, I mean that, that mechanism alone is sufficient to account for everything. Right. I, and, and so it's, and and yet when I got to graduate school, it was, I was so deeply impressed with the elegant design of biochemical systems. And, you know, to your, to your point, as graduate, graduate students, we would sit around, you know, in the graduate student lounge, and we would talk to one another about what we were learning or things that we had read. And it was always, how cool is that? How amazing is that? And it's not 
because the chemistry is so complex, there's like this elegance, this almost this ingenuity, right, right to the chemistry, you know, where this is, it's, it's remarkable. This is so clever. These, you know, these systems are so clever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was a very uh, ambitious graduate student. I, I prided myself in knowing more than anybody else. And so I, I uh, took it upon myself to read about the origin of life uh, it wasn't really required in anything that we were doing at, at that point, but I decided I'm going to, I'm going to know about the origin of life just to be able to show off to people. And it was through reading the different, you know, origin of life models at that time that I just said, there's just no way that this could come about just through chemistry and physics, that there seems to be a mind behind it all. And then it was um, a pastor who challenged me to read the Bible, and it was reading the Gospel of Matthew, and it was a religious experience, right? Where you know you t talked about having dreams. Well, I had this overwhelming sense as I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount right. that there is a person here, literally in the room with me, you know. And I've never had that e experience before or after that, and I just had this overwhelming sense that 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 Jesus is somebody I really need to pay attention to, yeah. and. Uh, one of our, this pastor's friends gave me one of these little tracks on how to become a Christian. And I remember reading through that, but so there, it's interesting to me, just some of the, some yeah. of the, the touch points between our stories. As a matter of fact, the first gospel I ever read was, was Matthew, which is the first one in the, and with, after that, I was so, you know, cause I'd seen that film and I remembered a lot of it from the film. Yeah. And that just blew me away. And I, I didn't read the others till much later, but um Yeah. 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 So that you're right, because I mean, and I, I know that we we do have a lot of that in common. I mean, uh, you know, even even our backgrounds being anti-Christian, you know, um it's it's hard to get over that when you when you're taught that as a child, you know, that this is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and to me, it wasn't so much Christianity was bad, but it was just Christians well, aren't aren't very bright, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, because I grew up in West Virginia, where you saw some right. extreme expressions of Pentecostalism. I actually knew of snake handlers, right? Wow. And so, you know, and and uh, you know, and my father was a physics professor, and uh, you know, there were one of his he was the chairman of the department, and one of the, his faculty was a Christian that would share with him. And this guy just wasn't a very, wasn't very good, right? <laughs> you know, he just wasn't a good teach, teacher. My dad would always complain about this guy isn't really very capable. And so th that's, you know, what I was being exposed to. And then when I was an undergraduate student, this was when the, 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 um, the trial happened in Arkansas. Right. And, um, and and so there, I had there were faculty members that were deeply concerned that young Earth creationism was going right. to infiltrate, you know, in, into the high school curriculum in West Virginia and became evolution advocates, and yeah. uh, and so my understanding of Christianity was really kind of kind of a young Earth understanding, right? right. Yeah, that this that Christians are strongly and you know anti science, and when. You know, my uh, fiance, who later became my wife, rededicated her life to Christ, and she shared with me. I said, 
hey, that's cool with for me if that's what you want to do, but I can't become a Christian. I'm a scientist. <laughs> that, was, that was my first, you know, reaction to her. Exactly right. So I'm, I'm, you know, anyway, it, it's it's fun that there. I, I didn't realize how much how many touch points there were in our story. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I that what you just said about you know. I had the same feeling. And in fact, when I did have that experience and I said, I believe I'm a Christian, I immediately said, uh-oh, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm a scientist. I can't be a Christian. I I didn't know that there were any other scientists who were Christians. Um, it turned out, I remember I, I said earlier, I said about secret Christians. It turned out there were plenty of Christians in my department who were secret. Yeah. And the first time I knew that I wasn't alone was when Francis Collins published his book, uh, The Language of God. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, my God, there's two of us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and then I, I, I went down, I went down to Georgia for, for to visit some people and and the guy there was started telling me i told him i was a scientist at that point i hadn't quite come all the way but i was thinking about you know god and he was a christian and he said well you know there is a scientist who is a christian his name is hugh ross you should read his books uh, that was the first time i heard the name hugh ross <laughs> so you know okay three of us that's that's good <laughs> And um, what I'm doing now, and I'm skipping ahead, of course, uh, from the story, the, from the testimony and the, and the journey, my whole purpose in anything I do is to destroy that myth that science and Christian faith are incompatible, in conflict. You have to choose between one or the other. You can't do both. I. That is so wrong. I, you know, people talk about Satan's lies. Okay, I don't usually use that, but this is one of those great big lies that just is not true. And there are great Christians who are scientists. There are great scientists who are Christians. And uh, and th that number, I think, is growing. So okay. everything I do, write, say, whatever is is related to that point, because you know, it's important for, especially for young people, for students to know that, that yeah. you know, when a teacher says, well, you, you, you can't, you can't believe in God because everything that you think God did, we can explain by evolution. So you have to drop the God and stick with the science. <sighs> I shudder when I hear that kind of thing. When I, when people tell me that that's what their teachers have told them, that's, it's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, maybe this would be a great point to uh, talk a little bit about uh, maybe your 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 views of origins and maybe the specific model that you feel most comfortable with when it comes to the relationship between science and, and Christianity. Because, you know, there's like the Stephen Jay Gould Noma model, which I think very few evangelicals would embrace. Most evangelicals either embrace, in my experience, either the complementary view uh, or the overlap view, you know, where the complementary view would say both um, that 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 scripture and science both represent uh, truth. It's just that these are complementary perspectives on 
on the truth and they don't really um, overlap or interact in a, in a substantial way. Whereas the overlap view would argue that, that they really is a, an interdigitation between uh, science and faith. So which, which particular model do you feel most comfortable with and, well, and maybe why? Yeah, I like both of those. And I, I think neither one is entirely correct and excludes the other. But by both, I mean uh, complementarity and also the overlap. Because there are times when there is overlap. Uh, you know, when science and, and faith say the same thing. Yeah. Um, the universe has a beginning. You know, we didn't know that 100 years ago. We do now know that that's true. So uh, that's an overlap. And, and there are others. Um, on the other hand, what I like to think about the relationship between science and faith is to use the word harmony. Mm. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a musician. I, I studied music. I studied harmony, in fact, in high school. And I, I played instruments. And what is harmony? Harmony is two instruments or two voices that do not sing the same notes okay they're singing different notes or they're playing different notes but they go together beautifully uh, they create something better than either the melody either melody by itself and that's what i that's i think so that's the complementary model uh and i think that that is always true in science and faith uh and there are so many examples i mean um I think even evolution fits into that. You know, there's evolution may, may sing one version of a melody of how life works. Uh, whereas, you know, a biblical interpretation, a certain biblical interpretation might say, well, uh, we're not talking about evolution of species by natural selection, but if you look at Genesis, you see things about the about life which are scientifically accurate right uh each to its own kind every animal only gives birth to its own kind i mean <laughs> that's true you know and that was a biological insight that the writers of, of genesis had and inspired by god so so that's complementary but you know th there's also some overlap there as well so um i i in, you will also you'll find that I I don't maybe this is just you know my personality but and and maybe it's a result of my rejection of communism <laughs> which is that what I hated about communism was that you had to follow a line mm. which was laid down by people in Moscow and everyone had to follow everything that they said even if it changed overnight which it did often and I hate that idea so I'm kind of resistant to following party lines of any kind, <laughs> whether it's in politics, science, religion, you know, I'll, I'll say, yeah, that's true. And that's also true. <laughs> well, you know, but I think you're, you're raising really a very important point because, you know, uh, unfortunately the science faith arena is so contentious yeah. among believers and even between believers and, and non-believers. And, you know, I think labels in in models are helpful, right. you know, but I think oftentimes they they fail to really convey sometimes subtle and nuanced perspectives that that people hold. And so I, you know, my label would be an old earth creationist and and particularly a day age creationist. But 
there's things that I would even disagree with Hugh about, right? You know, even though I work at, at his organization, I, you know, I, there's still things I would disagree with him about. Uh, and he would disagree with me about in terms of how we approach the Genesis one text, though there might be broad agreement. And so I think the labels are helpful, but they it's very easy then to 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 turn those labels into a caricature of of a position, right? Yeah, this is another thing we have in common, Buzz, and and I've known this for some time. Uh, you know, I my label started out and probably still is evolutionary creationist. Okay, so, but you know, I I can't even say that now because uh, there are things about ID that I kind of resonate with. There, you know, uh, when we get to the origin of life, for example, no, I I think that that's pure overlap. I mean, the science and and the religious view of the origin of life. Uh, are very close. And um, the science is telling us that uh, we have no clue how <laughs> life began. And what you said is, I completely agree with, is that chemistry and physics are not enough. You don't get life by the, by following the laws of chemistry and physics. And there's so many reasons for that. Uh, starting even with the, the pre, you know synthesis of the precursors, but even if you have all the precursors, even if you have RNA and proteins and all these long polymers, so what? We don't know how to put those together to make a living cell. We don't have a clue. Right. And, you know, so there, I don't follow the evolutionary creationist uh, view that everything in nature can be explained by and understood by, as you said before, mechanism, the mechanism that the mechanisms we now know, which are involved with the, the basic laws of physics and chemistry that we now know. Yeah. And if you think about it, there's no reason why they should be. They, it's never been true. I mean, it, the, the example I always bring up is the very end of the 19th century when physicists were saying, well, we're done. We got every, we know everything. Yeah. We, you know, all we have to do now is get the next few decimal places in some of these laws. There is one minor little niggling difficult exception, which is light. Nobody knows, you know, what is light? How does it, how does it move at a constant speed? How is that possible? And, you know, the, the ether, there are all kinds of crazy ideas. And then Einstein had to go to a whole new road, right? All right. He, 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 he started looking at a whole new kind of mathematics and he had some brilliant ideas and he came up with a crazy idea. You know, this relativity that actually time slows down. That's why the speed of light is constant. Light doesn't change. Time changes. Who would have thought that? I mean, if, if somebody had said that in 1890, they would have said, well, that's supernatural nonsense. Go away. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it was true. So we're there in biology, I believe, right now. We, it's not just the origin of life. There are things in biology, I believe, uh, including the theory of evolution, which I hold to, but I also hold to the idea that the theory of evolution is incomplete. It's not complete. You can't. There are so many areas in biological science that evolution is great at answering. 
And there are many areas which it doesn't answer at all. Yeah. There's something missing. It's the same thing I felt when I was when I was a young man and, and just had the sense that I was missing something in reality. And I think I, you know, I think that that's that that's the case. So I can't call myself a, a pure evolutionary creationist. Uh, they will get mad at me at times, uh, sometimes the real ones, uh, because they'll even say, well, are you are you becoming an ID guy? No, no, I'm not not ID. First of all, I don't like the word intelligent design. I think there's design, but I call it divine design because God is not intelligent. God is way beyond anything we can imagine as intelligent. He's divine. And the design of life, you know, you were a very smart guy in graduate school, right? You couldn't have figured out how to do life. <laughs> yep. There isn't a human being that could have figured out how to make life. There still isn't. None of us can do that. Well, you know, and and, and I'm curious to see your your reaction to this, um, you know, because one of the one of the things that I find really f- interesting is the work that is going on in synthetic biology where people are trying to create protocells from the bottom up to me is is some of the what i would call science at its very best when you what you when you look at what some of these research labs have have done it's it's quite remarkable and, you know and it's in it's you know in effects trying to reconstitute <laughs> from a, you know from biomolecules trying to reconstitute you know protocellular type systems but the the level of ingenuity that is required, it, it's not just simply the precise manipulations in the lab that are necessary. There's a real ingenuity to what these researchers are doing. Right. You know, where they they come up with these highly these very clever overall you know strategies to to begin to create these systems, and then you know the protocols themselves are are quite elaborate and again quite sophisticated and reflect again, a, a brilliance to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so my argument would be from analogy, look, if this is what is required consistently to even begin to move the needle towards some kind of entity that begins to resemble, you know, even the simplest cell, doesn't that, you know, imply that it, that the origin of life must have required, you know, a, a mind, right? That there there's an and there's agency that seems to be necessary. And, you know, what's interesting to me is you, you see a similar thing in prebiotic chemistry. It, it's fascinating to me that, that there's this issue that's becoming to the fore, that's coming to the forefront among prebiotic chemists, which is the, the, the problem of, unwar- you know, unwarranted researcher involvement, right. right? Where they, they recognize that, yeah, we can do some very interesting things in the lab that seem in principle to have bearing on the origin of life, but they only are are possible because the researchers have unwittingly incorporated themselves into the experimental design, right? And and this is a point that I raised in in my book, uh, Creating Life in the Lab in 2011. And now I'm beginning to see this being discussed among (laughs) origin of life researchers as as a serious problem. And of course, they they backpedal very quickly away from the idea of the possibility of of design or divine design or teleology of some sorts but again it seems to me like if you take the idea of researcher involvement being critical to the success of those experiments as being 
something that's consistently observed, that to me is a scientific observation, right? Mm-hmm. That that has an implication that maybe people don't like, but it implies that agency may may very well play a role. So I, I just think it's, you know, it's fascinating where the problems in prebiotic chemistry are now morphing into almost a positive case for teleology. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Oh, I, well, that brings up so many things. Um, yeah, I mean, Jim Tour loves to say that, you know, <laughs> these reactions don't occur unless you have done all the things. Look at he, what he always says is look at the method sections in all these papers and see yeah. how many, you know, amazing things that the, the chemists had to do to create whatever it is, you know, nucleotides, et cetera. Um, now, it's interesting you brought up teleology at the end because, you know, it, that's that's the thing I'm really most interested in pursuing right now is, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's clear to me that life did not occur, as I said before, spontaneously, randomly by following what we know as the laws of chemistry and physics. And I always say what we know because as I said before, the laws of physics keep changing as we learn more and more. And in biology, it's very interesting. I don't know if you know this, Buzz, but uh, the Pew, I think it was Pew Research did a study in atheism among scientists. And in, among the, the physical sciences, something like 65% were atheists, which is fairly high. But in biology, it was 90%. Yeah. Uh, and that includes biochemists like us. <laughs> so we're in the very small minority. Um, and why is that? Well, it, you know, it's not because biologists don't recognize the design in biology. Of course they do. But they have an answer for it, which is evolution. Now, that doesn't include, of course, the origin of life. They know that that's not possible. But they, they that's why they're working. They keep saying, oh, we're going to find it. We're going to find it. Now, I don't think they will find it, and not because, quote, God did it. Everybody, you know, people always say, oh, you're God of the gaps. No, I'm not satisfied with just saying God did it because I'm a scientist. I want to know if God did it. God, I believe God created everything, but I want to know how, right? Uh, and I want to know how in a scientific, naturalistic way. And I, we don't have the tools to do that. We don't, because as I said, there's something missing. There's a law or something missing. And what is missing? Well, what is missing is something that used to be an integral part of science. And that was what you just said, teleology. And, right. and it was thrown out as, as the scientific revolution progressed because there was no way to to do that you know there was a the moon doesn't want to go around the earth it, it's gravity that does it so we don't need any purpose mm-hmm. etc and and that also went into biology which is if you think about it almost insane because if there's one thing that we know has purposes it's living organisms right i mean we have purposes humans so does a fox so does a rabbit so does you know all the animals bacteria i mean Life is full of teleology, is full of purpose, and life almost always means something that has agency. It acts. Yeah. Living things act. 
you know, the moon doesn't act. Volcanoes, you know, uh, explode or whatever, they, they erupt. But it's not up to them. You know, that the, the volcano doesn't say, gee, I think I'll erupt today. I mean, no, it's all due to physical chemical forces. But life, you actually have objects, living objects that decide to do something for a reason, and then they do it. And that that's only in life. You don't find that anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Thrown away any any concept that that could even exist. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at the in our level in biochemistry, you know, you read a textbook in biochemistry, you'll find nothing but purpose in there. The enzyme the enzyme has the function of joining these two molecules together, or or you know. The enzyme, it's a molecule, it's a protein molecule, it has a purpose. So where does that come from? Yeah. And you know, to, to me, that probably is my my greatest point of objection with what I again we'll call the evolutionary paradigm, which I think goes beyond just the theory of evolution, uh, in that it's almost a, a type of worldview, yeah. is that it, it it's ultimately about stripping and keeping teleology out of biology altogether. I think that's probably my, my fundamental objection, you know, in, in what I end up reacting to is th this deeply anti-teleological, you know, view of, of biology, which I think is a, it's, it's a very impoverished view of biology uh, in many respects, you know, uh, but, um, it, it, you know, and, and, um, you know, I, I, in my book, Fit for a Purpose, I talk a bit about Lawrence Henderson, who, you know, what a remarkable scientist and, and, you know, so prescient in terms of his scientific insight. But, you know, he was attempting to reintroduce teleology into biology with his fitness for the environment. And he probably was an agnostic, maybe an atheist. He wasn't looking at, you know, a, a, a you know, a teleology uh, that would, uh, you know, fit with a theistic perspective but he his work was largely ignored and it was in part you know when you read the reviews of his work that were published people just were very uncomfortable with his idea that teleology really should have a place in biology the the person now who is the most um active in this area is dennis noble the british physiologist who is also not a theist but he has papers talking about we need teleology and agency. And look look how much of it there is in, in all the biology. I mean, he talks about the immune system and you know the way the way that the amazing way that the mammalian immune system works and functions with what looks like absolute purpose and, and agency. And um yeah, it it's this mistake people you know there's that expression throwing out the baby with the bathwater. well throwing out teleology that was a baby that we should never have thrown out you know and and that's what happened and it, it as you said it 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 stripped biology of a great deal of explanatory power and there has to be some i don't know how to do it obviously but there has to be some way to bring it back and I don't know how again, but um, you know, maybe there is a law of chemistry that is related to to some teleological factor. Well, you know, I, I, I after writing Fit for a Purpose, I've become 
a lot more sympathetic to this idea of structuralism or process structuralism, you know, which is this, this notion that, um, you know, and, and Simon Conway Morris was the first person that I read who, who seemed to be advocating that view, though I know there is a history to that idea that goes, you know, beyond Simon Conway Morris, but it's the idea that maybe there are, yeah. there's a, a law-like nature to the evolutionary process where the, the endpoints are predetermined by, you know, the, the very laws of nature themselves, that it's not natural selection or, or a historically contingent process that is leading to the, you know, by, to the evolutionary outcomes. It's something that has been predetermined ahead of time. And you almost can begin to see that even in some elements of prebiotic chemistry that are being suggested, you know, so very interesting idea that I think can, can bridge kind of an ID slash, you know, creationist perspective with an evolutionary creationist perspective. It almost seems like there's a capacity in that idea to be, to be, bring some reproachment between those two, those those perspectives. Right. I agree. And, you know, uh, by the way, let me just say that, uh, because I haven't said it yet, but Fit for a Purpose is a great book. So anybody watching this, if you haven't read it yet, get it. It really, uh, it really, I was really very, very impressed. So, um, it, but now, you know, Simon Conway Morris is, is one of my heroes. I, I was fortunate enough to meet him a few years back and he, he, I think he's turned the world of evolutionary biology on its head. I mean, you cannot doubt his data. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's more extensive than anything since Linnaeus. I mean, he has so many examples of convergence and it's, it's, it's undeniable. And you know, what you just said is that how is this, you know, there are things you get and there are things you don't get. I mean, Gould is somebody I, I always admired and respected, but he was dead wrong when he said, if you turn the clock back, you could get anything. That's not true. You're not going to get anything. You're probably going to get pretty much what we have because of these, as, as you put it, these unknown laws of structure and function that are there. And, and this is what Simon has shown. You know, it's, there's something there that's telling us that we're, we're always going to get a few kinds of eyes. We're not going to get all kinds of crazy things. And um, well, so, you know, Simon Conway Morris, of course, in his book, Life Solution, yeah. kind of dances around the, the, the implications of it. But, but you, you could adopt that view and, and still remain a non-theist. But if you are a theist, that perspective on evolution now fits very comfortably with this idea that there really is a, a purpose, an ultimate purpose, an ultimate end to 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 what to life on earth, and that as humans we are an inevitability, you know. Uh, and that, I think that's a very powerful message that is very different than than your you know grandfather's evolution, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 I think it's going to gain um, credence, and it's going to gain adherence, and as you said, among theists, but also non-theists. It's necessary biologically, scientifically, we need to, we need to, to look for this because otherwise we're going nowhere. 
you know we're not making any not just the origin of life but so many other things that are just don't, just don't work um i mean we don't really have a law of evolution you know that's something that most people don't realize it's a great theory it certainly is true i believe in many in, in most cases you know if you're looking at the the diversity of animals and plants you can explain an awful lot by evolutionary theory but there is no law there's no mathematical law because fitness is impossible to define and you know it's kind of hard to base everything on on a great theory which has not gotten any kind of substantial mathematical basis that could be called a law so there is something missing there and uh i i you know purpose agency i think is one of are two of those things that that have to be added um so i also very much like what you said about the conjunction of using this idea as a bridge between these uh, different camps in the science faith origin discussion because you know it, it what i think is a big mistake is for people in either one of let's say the two camps evolution and creation intelligent design and even perhaps into young earth creationism to some extent i mean young earth creationists let's let's be clear here they actually believe in evolution <laughs> although this is not widely known but they have a model that the, the the animals that were created by god in the beginning went on the ark and when they came off the ark they evolved i mean that's that's in <laughs> that's in the answers in genesis you know texts so it, it it's not that they don't agree with evolution they just don't they don't hold to it as 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 universal as as some of us but in terms of the other two camps you know we we are very close and the what's really important and i would make this as a plea to my fellow evolutionary creationists and also for some of the id folks who i know and like and respect is don't worry too much about orthodoxy <laughs> as i said before don't worry about following the line occasionally i've i've talked to my my friends in in the evolutionary creationist area and they and i'll say something like kinds of things i'm saying to you and they'll say are you id are you turning into ID? no no, no I, let's not give labels <laughs> we're talking about truth right we don't have to give labels and um and of course this is as christians we already know that this is the reality i mean we already know that our particular denomination of christianity is not the only one <laughs> we might prefer it to others we might not but if we do we know that you know if you're a methodist you really don't think that all the presbyterians are going to hell <laughs> i mean that, that's a good joke you know we all know the joke but it's not real you know we know that there is variation in how we view the Bible and how we view the life of Jesus and the Gospels. And that's good. That's not bad. That's a good thing. Right? Because we don't know the truth. Who are we? We don't know what, what's in God's mind. We don't know what Jesus really meant. 
So we do our best and we and we say what we think and we get together with other people who agree with us and we call it a denomination. But let us never think that we have the final truth and we should have the same view in science. Yeah. That's why we keep doing research. If if we were all done, you know, we'd be done. We we wouldn't think about any other questions. Yeah. We're never done. And um we're not done in science, we're not done in understanding Christ. Yeah. Well, Cy, it looks like we're we're running out of time here. And I and I'm so sorry because I was really wanting to to get a chance to talk to you about the work that you'd done on on replication. Uh, if you're willing, I would love to have you come back on and maybe we could focus on on some of that work and then uh, continue our conversation wherever it leads us. But uh, to, sure. this has been a lot of fun for me. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it it's a delight every time I, I get a chance to spend time with you. I, I like you more and uh, respect <laughs> and admire you more. So uh, uh, thank you again. It means the, the world to me that you would take the time to do this. And uh, uh, I love what you're doing. And um, you've got a, another book that's in the works. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell us quickly about that as a bit of a, a preview to kind of create a little bit of buzz before that book hits the, the newsstands. It's got a ways to go. It's in editorial now. Uh, but my working title, and as you know, the right. public decides the title, but my working title is actually Harmony. Ah. And uh, I'm pursuing this theme of, it, it, it's a collection of essays, fairly short uh on lots of different aspects of uh science and faith and how they harmonize and so the goal is uh, uh to drive home this point that uh you know science and faith don't say the same thing but they're beautiful together yeah yeah well those are great that's a great way to close <laughs> this episode so Again, thank you so much, Sai, for, for being for with us. I, I uh, look forward to, I'll have uh, uh, someone get in touch with you uh, as soon as I can, and we'll try to schedule another round if you're up to it. Uh, but anyway, I just want to go ahead and say to everybody, thank you so much for watching this episode of, of Star Cells and God. Uh, remember uh, to go to our website, reasons.org check us out. Uh, also follow us on social media, RTB underscore official. Sai, you, what is, uh, how can people interact with you on social media, by the way? Oh, well, I am on Twitter, uh, Cygart. Uh, I have a website, Cygart.com. It's great okay. having an unusual name, right, Buzz? I mean, <laughs> nobody else has my name, so I can use it. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, and and I there's a YouTube video out that's gotten almost a million and a half views <laughs> where I talk about my journey to faith. That's on capturing Christianity. Uh, it it, it uh, I don't know. It went viral, unusual for me, but uh, yeah. so they could you could look for that um, capturing Christianity. And uh, but if you want to contact me directly, go to my website, cygart.com. I answer all comments, all, all, uh, uh, all, uh, you know, whatever. If you want to say something, if you want to ask a question, you can do it there. You can send me a DM on Twitter. 
because uh, this is all I'm doing. I mean, I'm retired. I've been retired seven years, and all I do is try to work for the sake of the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So again, Sigart.com, uh, Sigart on Twitter. And again, RTB underscore official, reasons.org. And of course, go to our YouTube channel if you're not there already, Reasons to Believe One. And again, hit the uh, bell so that you get reminded of uh, when the next episode of Star Cells and God drops. Uh, and as we close, I just want to say thank you again for watching and remind you that the more we discover about science, the more that we have reasons to believe. Until next time.